Yeah, hi, hi, Lucian. Hi, Sai. Uh, great to meet you. I'm excited to uh, to talk to you uh, today. Thank you very much uh, for giving me uh, your time to be on my show. You're welcome. I'm very inspired by by your story of uh, of interviewing people around the world from all different walks of life and different types of work. So I'm uh, I'm hoping this will, this will be additive and helpful to your audience. Definitely. So uh, I have gone through a profile. I can see you're doing uh, wonderful work. Uh, you're into multiple things. So I thought to tell about your work to my audience. So can you please introduce yourself to my audience? Yes. Um, I work at a company called PwC. I'm in their strategy consulting area. I, in, in that role, I help companies, and I've been doing this for about 25 years. I help companies with addressing their business problems. And those problems are, they could be strategic around how they grow. They could be how they become competitive and efficient and take out costs, how they leverage new technology, which I know is an area and a passion of yours. Um, and also how they organize and how they think about their workforce needs within that context. So in consulting, we call that broadly transformation. And so I help companies with kind of big transformations, uh, again, cost growth and technology driven. I love it. I, I kind of love solving business problems. Uh, so that's kind of what I do for my J job. And then um, outside of that, I have the privilege of teaching a class at NYU Stern School of Business. I teach the MBA, uh, first year MBA students, a strategy consulting course. Um, and I get involved in over the years, different thought leadership and research, um, both at the policy level with G20, um, with forums such as the World Economic Forum, um, and also kind of do a lot of work like this where I'm kind of giving back and, and speaking and kind of, you know, sharing sharing my story to the extent it can be helpful. That's great. Uh, you're into uh, sports also. Yes. Um, we were just talking sadly about the, uh, the loss of the, uh, the World Cup final uh, for India. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm Indian as well from, from Delhi, grew up in London, I've been living in the U.S. for the last 21 years. But, yes, still passionate about following the Indian uh, cr- uh, cricket team. Um, I also um, follow uh, English football. My team is Tottenham, um, which is uh, hopefully we'll have a better season this year. Um, and I also, um, for my own well-being and sanity, I run. So I uh, I just ran a marathon last weekend in Philadelphia, and I've run 12 marathons and hoping to continue that. I, I love running. I, I run pretty much every day. It's, uh, it's an important part of my routine. That's great. Uh, before talking about more uh, about yourself, uh, can I inter- introduce my uh, uh, podcast uh, sponsor? So it's uh, uh, Start Adam. Sales and customer facing teams often switch between various communication tools causing time management and visibility issues that slow down dealing velocity. The solution is Start Adam. With Start Adam, your team can centralize all communications within your chat tool, ensuring compliance, no more switching, waiting, or fragmented chats. Sales teams reach customers where they are building trust and relationships through constant communication. Let's start Adam auto-summarizes conversations in your CRM, eliminating data entry and speeding up deals. Join Start Adam today and start building customer relationships with centralized and compliance chat. Thank you very much, Bhushan, again uh, uh, for being on my show. 
So 25 years of uh, experience in uh, business development and business strategy. So how is this? Um, how does it feel? Um, I get excited by um, trying to think about new business problems. Um, business right now has a lot of new business problems with things like artificial intelligence, with um, the green agenda and how companies think about decarbonizing their business and their supply chain. Um, and also through the pandemic, you know, fueled by things, interactions like this, there's a there's a renaissance and a resurgence um, around focusing on the people aspects of business. So um, it feels good um, in terms of kind of addressing these important problems. I think they're important for business. I think they're important for uh, society and the world. Um, and yet in doing this for 25 years, there's some common themes you see across solving business problems like really focusing on the outcomes you're trying to achieve really not really kind of investing in designing the solution with the people um, and really tracking the benefits of these things um, and having an agile plan. So um, it, it feels good. I'm learning every day, um, but there's a lot of good patterns that you can kind of lean on from your experience of doing this across the world in different companies and different sectors. So how you are able to solve problems of different companies? Um, how we do that in consulting, I'd say the, 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 the summary version is, um, we really, we're really maniacal about understanding what a client wants to achieve. Are they looking to drive out costs because they have to, um, be more competitive, um, and improve their profitability so that they can be a viable business? Um, do they have to modernize their technology because they have to interact with customers via digital channels? Um, do they need to grow and then, you know, go through an acquisition of another company so they can actually grow, grow their footprint? So um, it really starts with understanding what the client's problem is and then seeing where we can help, whether that's a team, whether that's kind of a group of individuals partnering with clients or partnering with other vendors. Um, but but overemphasizing kind of addressing, understanding what we call the problem statement and trying to address that. Um, with your team and working with the client to drive those outcomes um, as some of the kind of foundational steps. So 25 years of uh, experience uh, and you are being the evidence for the, uh, the the constant change. So how do you define this? Um, constant change. I mean, if you if you don't change, you're standing still. If you don't if you don't learn, you're not really kind of you know, being relevant to literally yourself, your family or, or your clients or colleagues. And so for me, constant change is, you know, as as economies change, as technology changes, um, as types of businesses change. Um, we didn't have these communication tools when I started in the workplace uh, in the 1990s. Um, globalization meant something very different in terms of it was shared services and back office functions and there and, and now globalization can mean literally work from anywhere and there's obviously some challenges to globalization we're seeing unfortunately over the last few years and few months in terms of war and terminal turmoil and and refugee crisis etc so yeah there's constant change and, and my advice to people kind of listening in is lean into that change embrace it understand it um 
don't get too complacent and comfortable with knowing, thinking that you know everything. Because just as you think you understand an industry, like financial services or retail, it will change. Um, and you kind of have to keep up with that change and be relevant. And and frankly, that's where you have more fun and fulfillment in the job, whatever your job is, whether you're kind of in those industries or advising those industries like consultants. And what kind of businesses you work for? Um, I work for kind of larger companies. Um, I spend a lot of time in financial services. I think about banks, think about insurance companies. Um, I've also kind of, you know, done work around pharmaceuticals. Um, some of the uh, larger tech companies, um, but basically it's it's a it's a you know, and I've worked at smaller startups that are looking to kind of grow their market. So it really does kind of run the gamut of kind of um, companies that are looking to make a significant change, um, and that's when they would go to, to to work with consultants. So how do you define uh, working for uh, larger scale companies and small scale companies? Um, when we work with smaller companies, we've got to really make sure that um, we understand some of their constraints, some of their opportunities. So um, in, a, in a smaller company, um, you don't have a lot of infrastructure in terms of large amounts of people. Um, you've got to really make sure that, that investments that you make are going to pay off because um, there, there's less reserves on the balance sheet. Um, sometimes smaller companies are looking to um, use more outside help in terms of outsourcing because they don't want to be employing too too many people. Um, they obviously can be agile and flexible and don't have to have the bureaucracy of of larger companies. Um, it's funny, say you know many large companies I work with say we want to operate in an agile way. We want to be nimble. We want to have a small company feel. We've grown too large, so. There's there's a lot of benefits you can actually get working in a big company that can can operate with a small company entrepreneurial fit. So is it easy for you to uh, work for uh, companies which belongs to different industries? Um, I, w- I wouldn't say it's easy. I think that the um, to work across different industries to me it just starts with being curious about business. Um, I'm. I'm incredibly nerdy and curious that when I work with a new company, I really want to understand their business model. I want to understand their products, how they make money, um, who their customers are, what their growth plans are, how they use technology, um, the history of the company. I, I literally treat it as um, kind of a, a, a business school case study. Um, and to me, that that if when I'm invested in that, whether I'm solving a technology problem, a cost problem, um, a people problem. It just makes it. It makes me understand the business and get more context. So um, there's nothing scary about. You know, we have so much knowledge at our fingertips. If you haven't worked in the pharmaceutical sector, you could. There's a lot of knowledge out there that you can to understand the basics of business models and to say, you know, how do you do R and D? What does sales and marketing look like? How many drugs go through different development processes? What's the regulatory framework? Um, I think that the people that have the most fun in my industry are the people that literally dive in to the water and thrive in that environment of learning and also being uncomfortable. It's great to be uncomfortable. You'll know that as a sportsman, as a cricketer. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not improving. So what made you to become what you are today? What's your background? Um, 
I think what made me become what I am today is having parents who really kind of focused on education and kind of gave me lots of opportunity to um, to kind of, you know, be who I want to be and, and be a curious global citizen. Um, my grandfather was a diplomat who traveled around the world, you know, representing India, obviously. But um, he kind of fueled some of my desire to to want to travel and be curious about different cultures. Um, but, but, yeah, I took um, accounting and economics um, and then moved it into consulting, started in kind of finance process reengineering and then moved into different areas around the people side, the operating model side. I started to specialize in financial services um, a few years after and then also kind of worked in the healthcare sector. So I think it's it's just having a foundation. In my case, it was a foundation of finance and accounting. But any foundation, whether it's tech, engineering, humanities, having that foundation, but also being comfortable building on that um, based on the sectors you're in or the trends that the world is experiencing. Obviously, now there's a huge technology trend that we all have to get very savvy around digital technologies and AI and automation and, and how that can help business in the right way. Um, it's uh, the background's important, but it's what you do. It gets you in the door, but it's um, it's what you do on the job and how you learn and thrive that I think is as important. And also, uh, you saw the evolution of the technology. And uh, 25 years back, uh, it was different, and today it's different. So, how do you define this uh, uh, change that happened uh, in this 25 years? Yeah, I like where that question. Are, yeah, where we are today? Yeah, where are we today? What's common is uh, whenever new technology is introduced, there's fear, there's anxiety. Um, what is it going to do to me in my job? Um, what do I have? Do I have to really learn skills? You know, I'm 55 years old. I work. I'm actually 50, but you know, someone could be 55 or 60 years old and really think that you know that they want to retire soon and they don't want to learn this, and so. There are some commonalities around the fear and anxiety and needing to focus on kind of engaging people with that technology. There's also a lot of hype. Um, I remember Y2K, which was basically um, everybody thought at the end of 1999 that computer systems around the world would malfunction. The ATMs would not work. Um, at clocks wouldn't work. There'll be problems with the airlines. You know, huge companies that have got reams of data would not be able to understand those because they were coded in a different way. The clock ticked to midnight in the year 2000 and everything was totally fine. So there's a lot of hype and fear around certain technology. There's obviously a lot of hype about AI and its benefits right now. Um, so I think we've got to understand that technology is going to be going to continue to innovate. It's going to be here to stay. AI will take many different forms in businesses and in our lives and you know, in the lives of government and in the minds of criminals and bad actors as well. And we need to kind of think about that. But the commonalities around technology is we overhype the benefits. We have to think about user experience and bringing people along and managing that fear and anxiety. And and to the points made earlier, as soon as you feel comfortable with the technology, it's going to evolve. And what do you like to solve? Uh, what kind of problem you want to solve? I want to solve problems that actually make the world a better place. And I know that that sounds incredibly trite um, or abstract, 
But if I'm working with a company that's going to say, you know, we need to be more competitive and we need to kind of develop different products and services for our customers, what I hope that I, I, I want to solve is, you know, they're actually bettering society. So whether it's services around travel and transportation so that people can have more meaningful travel experiences, whether it's better financial products and more people can get access to credit and maybe buy their first home and get on the path to economic security for their family. So I want to solve problems that are meaningful to my clients and to business. Um, and, you know, that, that's kind of like the best, uh, the best of all worlds. Um, and I try and take that into my work outside consulting. Um, I want to give advice to people, whether they be policymakers on how to think about measures of productivity or how to think about how to manage cybersecurity risks with vulnerable communities um, or how to think about um, taking a more fair and balanced way to a skills first hiring piece. Skills first hiring is something where you bring people in based on skills and potential and not a rigid focus on their academic qualifications or their job experience, et cetera. So I'm trying to um, address things that help business and society in in the work that I do. Do I do I always do that? Do I always get it right? Absolutely not. But that's kind of um, the, the sweet spot of kind of where, where I want to work. So how much knowledge you have in uh, different fields and different departments? Um, I'm continuing growing my knowledge. Um, when I think about that question in terms of how much knowledge I have, I, um, I'm a voracious learner. I have a foundation, obviously, in accounting. Um, I'm curious about understanding how business works. So I understand, you know, I learn about business models and how they create value. Um, understand kind of how a business operates through its supply chain, its channels to market and its customer. A lot of that you learn through formal tuition in, in consulting, but also on the job. But again, supply chains change in a digital environment. So you have to continue to keep learning. So, um, I'm just a believer in the athlete model that you build you build knowledge, but you want to kind of, you know, you don't just want to be a sprinter. You want to be able to do some hurdles and you don't just want to do hurdles. You want to be able to, like, do a bit of a decathlon. And so I think the business professionals that can be athletic are just much more agile as as different factors change in the area in kind of areas of business. So your job actually requires a lot of people's skills. So how you gained that? Um, by making lots of mistakes and getting lots of feedback. I mean, the best way to build people skills is um, be around people that you trust, that you can communicate with, collaborate with, lead when appropriate, but surround, ask them for feedback. Ask them for feedback, um, especially the people who look and think differently to you maybe different country of origin, um, maybe different different education background, um, asking them for feedback in terms of how we're operating as a team, um, how I can change my individual style. Um, I also learned from observing really good managers and observing some poor or average managers. And so I think we all, we all learn by osmosis, by being around um, good influences. Um, and we see that in our work. In our workplace, we see that outside of work. I'm sure you see that in your in in the schooling system. Um, so I think that's that's a good way. And yes, there's basic training on things that 
where you have gaps, like some people have gaps around the ability to communicate or the ability to listen or to manage conflict in a team. And so there are, you know, there's there's training that you can take, there's training online, there's training in companies. Um, but I find the training that it's it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. The sufficiency is much more on the job and being open to getting lots of feedback and taking corrective action. So do you have particular projects that actually uh, uh, made your uh, potential to uh, come out? Do I have particular projects that, sorry, can you repeat the question? That that shown exactly your potential? Um, I think earlier in my career, I would say that um, I was lucky to work on projects like I helped restructure an entire IT company, um, IT organization within a pharmaceutical company. I had never done that before. Um, I worked with um, a guy who had been in the IT function and a consultant for a number of years, and he was a really good teacher. And he explained the IT function. He understood, he understood, he kind of explained to me the difference between, you know, what IT architecture is versus support. Um, developers versus testers, um, the relationship managers, the service managers, um, how you think about IT governance. I would not known any of that before. And so I think the first time you're doing something, you really need a safe space where you can actually ask really good questions to people. You need to be a self-starter and kind of try and figure some of those things out yourself and use the knowledge resources you have around you. But um, I've been blessed by having some really good coaches um, where I've been able to shine. I, I really like doing work where you think about operating models and different functions. And so, um, but I'm only here because I've had some good teachers and good experiences. So what is the difference uh, that uh, you observed in uh, uh, developing any business which belongs to small, uh, large or international business? Um, international global businesses are much more complex. You have to think about um, different stakeholders around the world. If a company has a IT function that sits, you know, in India, in London, in parts of Europe, you've got to really understand how that group teams, how they coordinate, how they service their customers, how they feel aligned as one team, even though they're, they're in different time zones and different national cultures. Um, so a lot of that goes back to who's leading the team. Um, do they have shared values? Are they clear on what the workflows are? So it's definitely obviously more complex in a larger global company. Think about companies that have sales forces in different, um, in different geographies. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's harder to get alignment. It's harder to come up with policies. Um, and again, we've talked about, you know, smaller, you know, smaller companies or domestic companies. Um, they've got different constraints, but again, uh, the basics in in business consulting are, you know, really validate what the problem is that you're trying to solve and make sure that you're bringing a broad enough solution to address the technology considerations, the strategy, the changes in workflows that need to happen. You know, what's the people and skills agenda and, and how are you going to measure and sustain all of that? And so they're, they're the basic building blocks that I think you can go back to when you're whether you're in consulting or whether you're addressing any business problem. I think there's some basics that people should have in their toolkit. But how you are able to adopt yourself that fast uh, when you're changing the industries? Um, 
sometimes um, we only change when we're forced to. Um, and so if you're in a business, whether you're a gig worker or whether you're a consultant and you're seeing you're going to work with different companies, you know, you may be doing a three month project here then you go do a, a different project for six months in a different industry with a different set of drivers. You just ha- you have to one, be confident that you're um, that you've got transferable skills. And two, you have to prepare and understand more about the industry um, and what the clients are looking for and what value and outcomes and success looks like. Um, it sounds much more frightening and scary if you haven't been in it. Um, but it's like anything. It's like, you know, swimming is really difficult or cycling is really difficult if you can't ride a bike um, or if you can't swim. It's much more difficult when you're 45 than when you're 21. And so kind of getting into that early and understanding, yes, we can work with different clients. We can solve different business problems. just builds confidence. And so, again, there's a lot of people in a lot of industries that work on multiple sets of work that have broad transferable skills. And I think that's, for me, that's um, that's the future. Um, the future is people that can look at business problems and whether that's in business as usual, whether it's in transformation or change, and to say, I'm going to back my set of skills that I understand around technology and you know, human skills and strategy and business skills, and I'm going to apply them to different problems. Because, Sai, if you and I were running a company together, we would have different problems every day. We would have problems with customer service. Then we'd have problems around branding and PR. And then we'd have problems about cash flow. And they may be different flavors of problems in different quarters. And so we have to be comfortable, even if it's problems that we haven't seen before, that we can, you know, we can be comfortable. No one thought we could work from home so successfully at the start of the pandemic. Um, We'll look back on AI with some success stories and some learnings. But, you know, a year ago, no one thought Gen AI would be a reality. We're all playing with it right now. So I think that um, I love the human spirit that we kind of just, you know, we've got to run into the fire and we've got to take some risks and we've got to kind of be confident and back ourselves. So working with different business leaders, how is your experience in, you know, the 25 years of experience working with uh all the business owners? Well, it's a loaded question. I've worked with so many leaders. Um, I've learned from so many leaders that have been, you know, inspirational. Some have just been really good at the, the technical aspects of their jobs. You know, they really understand the financial markets or they really understand the technology that they're building as part of their core product. Um, you know, everybody says you know leadership is so so important um and it's you know people join companies and they leave managers or bosses it's absolutely true um and so you know leadership you leadership's definitely getting more complex today um 25 years ago you could probably lead with more hierarchy um i'm the boss i will you will be in my office we will get this work done um I don't care about you bringing your whole self to work. I don't care about solving the world's problems. I want to solve my problems. You fast forward 25 years, Sai, leaders today have to understand what's going on in the world because it impacts their supply chains and where they get their products from. It impacts the cost of goods if we have rising oil prices or rising inflation. Um, 
the war in Ukraine has driven up the commodity prices and oil prices, for example. Um, so it actually, you know, they leaders have to care about social issues, whether they take a stand on them or not. A leader has to understand that the terrible Israel-Palestine conflict is impacting workers around the world. Um, here in the U.S., the Black Lives Matter movement and systemic racism and police brutality impacts not just the African-American population, but allies like like myself. So leaders have to practice all the basics of empowering people, listening, being incredibly empathetic, responding to feedback. But there's some other new skills that they need to have. They need to be citizens of the world. They need to um understand social issues and how they impact their their different stakeholders, their employees, their customers, their regulators, their analysts. And so it definitely has become more complex. And, yeah, some people are good at it and some people are are still learning. But um, and I'm still learning, by the way. And so but but we only fix that by um, by running into the running into it, getting some feedback and, and course correcting. So from where this understanding is coming from? Um, the understanding is coming from the people that you interact with. And by the way, you don't need a title to be a leader. Um, you're a leader. You, you run a, you run a global podcast. You've spoken to a hundred business people from around the world. You're influencing people's lives. You're changing through the entertainment and the media that you bring to them and the insight you and your, uh, stakeholders bring to, to your listeners and your viewers. Um, you're, you're being a leader because you're actually impacting people. And so um, you get insight by basically saying, am I achieving the results I want to do? Am I achieving the insight and the influence that I want to provide if if I'm a, a host of a, of a podcast? Um, as a business leader trying to, trying to help clients solve problems, um, are we actually getting those problems done? And are we getting those problems done in the right way where my people feel empowered they feel psychologically safe. They feel that they're learning and that they feel that kind of their, their well-being is kind of manageable. Or are we achieving those results where everything is the opposite and it's not sustainable? So leaders can achieve results, but it's how that's as important as what they achieve. Because if you if you do have an exhausted workforce that is fearful of their job, and just working those long hours to get it done for kind of one M&A transaction or one critical regulatory project, those people won't want to work with you again. And slowly by surely, those people will kind of leave the industry or the sector, et cetera. So it's really important for us to kind of focus on the outcomes of the what, but also the how is probably even more important for sustainability. So how how you made the... Uh, the product or the services of uh, different companies and different business to reach uh, the users and uh, uh, get the great result? Um, well, first of all, our clients get the great results. Our consultants are just, you know, behind orchestrating, bringing some thought leadership, some maybe some project management and driving the execution. It's our clients that are achieving the great results. Um, how we help them is again designing solutions making sure that they're testing those solutions with their end users if we're if we're working with a software company that's releasing kind of new products to market making sure that they've got teams 
on their client side that are going to actually give them feedback and give them kind of user experience feedback. And if they release products that have defects, that we're very strong around the corrective action that's going to be taken. So um, our clients have to kind of drive those outcomes, thinking about their users, thinking about um, the outcomes that they're trying to manage for. And when things don't go wrong, taking very good, effective, corrective action. And how do you define the technology business? Um, the technology industry or technology as it kind of sits in different companies? Yeah, uh, the whole, the technology business in the world. Um, you can't do anything without technology these days. Um there used to be people, I think a lot less now that were just saying, you know, when, you know, we have too much technology. When will this technology go away? Um, we have a whole technology sector, um, that provides, you know, large systems like we're using today. We have a lot of technology startups that are feeding off different parts of that ecosystem, whether it's startups around AI, startups around data analytics, startups around health and technology, think about wearables um, for, for our health. So technology is pervasive in every everywhere we see. It's embedded in every process. It's embedded in our house, in our travel, et cetera. So we're not getting away from kind of, you know, technology as a sector or technology embedded in business. So um, technology is here to stay. My advice is learn the right technologies that are relevant to the businesses that you either work in or want to work in. Um, if you want to work with energy companies on how they're decarbonizing their business and be less focused on fossil fuel generating energies, you need to learn about other kind of, you know, wind, solar power, kind of other kind of energy sources, but also the associated climate technologies that go that go with that and the climate reporting technology. So we see it in every industry. I mean, think about India side, like the huge investments that are needed in infrastructure in India over the next few decades, there's going to be a huge technology component around that as well in terms of kind of, you know, how we think about the digital divide, how we, you know, bring kind of, you know, better better kind of secure energy, electricity into people's homes. Um, you know, India's got a great advantage in things like digital banking um, or digital identity like with Adar because um, we didn't have some of the, um, incumbent or the legacy systems and banks that, that many people have um, in the same way that um, Kenya had micro um, payments through um, through smartphone technology called M-Pesa years ago um, before we were even talking about digital payments because they had to. So sometimes we um, technology, we innovate through technology out of necessity. Back to the example of the farmers in Kenya with kind of transferring this, um, you know, digital payments. And I know that we do similar things in India. So uh, working in different businesses, how do you uh, uh, understand uh, the natural resources and how uh, that is going to impact uh, the global businesses? Yeah. Um, so depending on the industry sector you're in, um, you have to understand. So it goes back to, for me, it goes back to the supply chain of a business. Um, if I'm working in um, automotive, I want to understand the, the the production process for the components that got into the car. So kind of, you know, where are they getting everything from 
you know, the metals, the, the rubber for the tires, but also the electronic components because increasingly cars are internets on wheels. So I really need to understand kind of those kind of the production and the supply chain and what goods need to be produced and then assembled into a car, you know, an electrified car, if you will. But to do that, I need to understand the natural resources. So where are they getting the, the chips from, the semiconductors that, you know, have components of lithium in them? And lithium is a, um, a natural resource that is scarce. And, you know, you have to go to places like China or a place I went recently was Bolivia, which has a huge amount of lithium. So, again, my, my point there is we don't start by saying I need to understand natural resources and the environment for the sake of it. We start with what's the company that I want to work with or for or what problem am I trying to solve and how do I deconstruct a value chain of a business? And in that example, an automotive company to say, I want to understand where production is happening for some of these critical components that need to go in the cars, like the semiconductors and the chips and kind of understand the, the impact of natural resource scarcity. So which businesses uh, uh, makes you uh, uh, put time and uh, makes you wake up in the morning and do it? Um, I have been working with the financial services industry for probably about 12 years, um, ever since the um, 15 years, ever since the financial crisis. Um, I find the financial services industry fascinating. I think contrary to what people believe, I do think it actually solves big problems in the world because if you can give people the dignity of credit to start their first business, if you can give people the ability to save and accumulate wealth through retirement funds as an insurance company does, or just accumulate kind of, you know, deposits so that they can actually save for the down payment and through the right investment vehicles, because, you know, the majority of us um, accumulate wealth very slowly. Um, and, and so I do think that there is a um, a huge responsibility for financial institutions. They impact every one of our lives. Um, and so I, um, you know, I'm very passionate about working with financial institutions, including the digitization, including kind of what we think about in the future, digital currencies. Um, and so, uh, and and the other thing is, I work with a lot of global institutions, and so I like working with global businesses. I, I kind of think of myself, I wake up every day thinking about the globe, even though I'm a U.S. and a U.K. citizen and I'm a permanent Indian resident as well. I do wake up thinking about the world and kind of, you know, deconstructing kind of my clients' businesses into kind of value chains that we talked about, which typically originate and operate around the world. So what are your qualities that made you to be, uh, you know, an expert in what you're doing? Um, I'm not an expert. I'm very fortunate. I'm surrounded by good people. I think the qualities of someone who's successful or wants to even enter this industry is innate curiosity and the willingness to learn, um, surrounding yourself by good people that you can learn from. And so asking people to be your mentor asking questions i used to sit around the dinner table asking my father lots of questions about the world you know i i do that now i like write down questions that i don't know the answers to when i hear them in meetings and ask people or you know or try and google google the answer or do do my own research i do that now um because i just i just love love to learn so i think the traits of curiosity surrounding yourself by good people 
Um, and then working hard at what you do, like whatever it is that you want to do, whether you're working in business, whether we're talking about our activities outside work, whether it's cricket, running, football, like be the best you can be. Put in the work, learn it, try it. Don't don't do it in a kind of a half baked way. Um, and to the point we, we talked about earlier, whatever you do is going to change. So just have to be agile and, and, and look for feedback from from people to see you know, what, what you can do differently. So how to do a global business? Uh, to, to be successful in global business, you have to really have a global perspective. You have to really care about being a global citizen. So what do I mean by that? Understanding that what happens in one part of the world will impact the other. You know, what happens in China, um, if there is a, you know, a big humanitarian issue, is going to impact the manufacturing of our smartphones. What happens in the world if there are huge trade tariffs and geopolitical tensions and God forbid war between different, you know, different superpowers will impact kind of our business. Um, you know, understanding, um, the different, the different national cultures and different religions in different parts of the world which might be influencing people to operate in different ways. As you know, the Middle East will operate in a different way to Southern Europe, which will operate in a different way to Northern Europe. And so really understanding and taking time to understand people's culture and values and how they want to work. So they're just some examples. But to to do global business, you can't fake it. You have to really care and understand that there's different factors that will influence our supply chains, our trade flows, um, our migration of human capital, and probably most importantly, the way people think and work um, and their attitudes. And how to be different in uh, different businesses? Um, how to operate in different businesses, I think it just comes back to um, being confident in yourself, learning about different businesses, understand that there are there are some similarities and learnings that you want to have across business. So 15 years ago, every financial company said to me, we want to be a tech company. And now they say we are a tech company because a lot of our, you know, you know, data and transactions is, is digital. We have a huge amount of data. We want to analyze it. A lot of financial service companies say that they they're really a tech and a data company. Um, and so really understanding across different sectors what you can bring and what you can learn across. So which is easy for you to work in a company where it is already built or uh, 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 in a company that is being built? It's definitely more exciting if you're working in a smaller company that's growing, that is trying to grow market share, think about new products, invest in new technology, maybe only has a few hundred employees, you know, and I've worked for one of those, consulted to one of those companies um, in the in the financial, uh, in the fintech space uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but again, if, if we, if, you know, if a big company that is in the, in the consumer retail business needs to address some issues, which mean that their customers are going to get different products or different pricing or 
different, you know, products delivered in, you know, that's going to save two days delivery time. That's also a noble purpose and that's an important business problem to solve as well. So, um, I just say, I just say they're different, but yes, on a very personal level, you know, everyone wants to be kind of early stage as part of, you know, a growth story and smaller companies are obviously easy to understand, but the majority of, um, consulting, the, the type of consulting that my firm and similar firms do are with established large companies because there's, that's where, you know, reinvention is needed. That's where investments in technology and kind of business model changes are needed or the, or the regulatory environment is kind of driving for a different set of solutions. So tell me about Athlet and you. Tell you about athletics. Yeah. The, um, the, the runner and you. Yeah. I, um, I'm 50 years old. I, um, I've run 12 marathons and the first one I ran was at the age of 40. So I decided to get into running. Um, my father passed away 15 years ago. My mother about, uh, eight. Um, and you know, after their, after their deaths, it was just to me, it was important. It was important to kind of, start doing something around physical fitness that I could just like invest in as part of my well-being that, you know, starts with making you feel better um, mentally and emotionally, but then there's a physical craving you have for it every morning. And so for me, that's my way of spending time, formulating thoughts, um, getting into good habits. And so since then um, I, you know, try and run a marathon every year if I can. And um, I just, I just love, like I live near Central Park in New York, and so I'm very fortunate. I have access to, I think, one of the best parks in the world to run. But um, you know, I've uh, I've never run a marathon in India. Maybe that's something I should think about. You do it, I think. <laughs> so, uh, what is your inspiration to do uh, multiple things in your life? What, do you do you know the purpose of your life? Um, I am inspired by making the world a better place and helping others. And I try and do that through my business business work, um, helping my clients, helping my colleagues develop skills, um, inspiring kind of, you know, people that I interact with um, in this way. And then outside of work, I try and bring those same values to my children, to my family. Um, I teach a class at NYU Stern and I try and bring that to my students. I spend time working with some global institutions and developing research and policy briefs outside of work with institutions such as the G20. Um, My colleagues and I wrote a paper for the T20 India that was all about if you invest in workers' well-being, how you can actually drive economic growth measured by GDP, but also business profitability. So I kind of spend time um, in kind of bringing my – small level of expertise into solving kind of some of those areas. So, so that's really my purpose. I want to make the world a better place. Um, I think I have um, certain skills that I can bring to my business clients, to my family and to my outside of work activities. And I want to bring those for as long as I'm able to. So how you are able to change things? Um, I'm able to change things by similar to you. I have a platform. Um, a lot of people follow me on, on LinkedIn. They, the people comment, people send me notes from around the world that I've never met before to say, I really appreciate you sharing this content. 
I've been inspired by your story of running. I've been inspired by your your comments on these particular posts. Some people comment around like the importance of global citizenship and some papers I've written with um, some um, collaborators at places like the World Economic Forum um, and also clients that I've met in the physical world. When I see them, I was at a dinner the, um, the other night and the CFO of one of our clients came up to me and he said, I just want to tell you, I really like following you on LinkedIn. And even though we haven't seen each other for two years, I kind of know what you're doing and I and I get great, you know, utility and satisfaction around what you share. And so these things, these things are nice because um, I do all that stuff myself. I don't have someone who does it. And I just I think it's I think when you're comfortable sharing messages um, and speaking on platforms like this, even if people won't agree, I don't expect everyone to agree with everything I'm saying. But sharing your voice is incredibly helpful. And so I've learned so much by watching other people, whether it's sessions like this or working with clients or working with leaders and colleagues kind of in person or virtually. I've learned so much by just observing other people. I've learned good things and bad things. And and so hopefully, you know, I'm I'm giving people the opportunity to learn certain things and and to to not focus on certain things as well that, that, that they don't want to. Uh, can I say these qualities are making you to uh, be a leader with the leaders? Um, you you could say that. I mean, we'll see what what the feedback is. Um, I, I try. I think the balance of humility and um, and arrogance is something that I I still try and learn every day. Um, deep down, I think you know by. By the nature of being, you know, our country of origin, I think by by the nature, a lot of, you know, Indians, we've grown up with with humility. I grew up in a very middle class family. Um, my parents didn't give the lifestyle to myself and my sisters that my children have, for example. So, you know, and I, and I try and even though my, my children have a much, you know, different life than I had growing up, I try and instill the values of humility and gratitude to them. Um but every now and again, when when you've been doing something for 25 years and you speak on platforms, you have to have a point of view. You have to speak with conviction. You've asked me a set of questions. I've given you straight answers based on my experience of what I've seen in businesses and the world um, and society for 25 years. And, you know, I visited over 70 countries and I kind of bring that experience to my work and to my to my um, my life. But to do that, it can come across as incredibly confident, and some people might perceive that as arrogance. Um, and so there's always a fine balance between um, I may be humble inside, but sometimes things can come across as um, super confident, and some people might hear that as arrogance, and some people might just say, I appreciate the confidence. And so, again, I'm, uh, I'm not saying that um, it's going to kind of – that's why people need to listen to, to influencers, business people – and take what they think is important. Um, and, and, and also when they're speaking on platforms, be true to who they are. So when doing business, uh, it is, uh, is it possible to, uh, uh, maintain the values for a long time and ethics, moral, uh, uh, moral, morals in any business? You have to. Um, you have to maintain your integrity and your ethics and your morals because, yes, you can make short-term gains. Um, you can cut um, cut corners. You can achieve your sales quotas if you're in the sales business. Um, you can achieve your your cost takeout if you want to. If you want to do that, you can um, 
you can kind of make, you know, quality sacrifices. But again, just as, you know, the voices of our parents in our head is like, you know, someone's going to figure this out and the cost of, of reputational damage, whether that's on a business or you as an individual, it far outweighs any of those kind of corners or savings that you want to make. So you, you have to, um, you have to think about like values. Again, values that are important to you and your business. Um, and so for me, that's, that's something that, um, is, is really important, but it's important to understand that those values get tested. When your boss is saying to you, we just need to get production done and we need to get a hundred more widgets produced, you feel the pressure. Or if people say, I really need you to kind of sell 20 more products this month so we can meet our quota and get our bonuses, you feel pressure to, um, and that's where kind of people act, you know, good, good intended intentioned uh people kind of make make poor decisions and poor judgments we see if you if you analyze any company that has gone through any fraudulent issues it's not that people woke up in the morning to say i'm going to commit a fraud or cut ethical boundaries it's part of the situation and the pressure they felt and maybe they felt um, coerced so um even though it's easy to sit on platforms like this and say Values are important and you should never compromise those. History has shown us that there's there's always pressures and there's always, um, you know, uh, challenges around that. So what we are giving uh, as a global citizens, as a responsible citizens to the next generation, the same planet? What we need to be giving the next generation is um, absolutely it needs to start with a planet and with global warming kind of increasing and still our reliance on fossil fuels that's obviously challenged so we need to give them um a safe clean sustainable planet as as table stakes otherwise all of this becomes um academic um but we also need to give them hope hope that look i've grown up with um a lot of racism um first generation indian living in london there was a lot of integration issues what my hope is this next generation isn't so divided. And even if we're divided on politics or divided on foreign policy, um, that we can still come together that, you know, 20 somethings, teenagers, you know, next generation, whatever colors, whatever religions, they can actually come together and actually see the commonality and see kind of the human in all of us. That's what we need to give. And, um, but it, it also starts with our world leaders. Our, our elected officials need to kind of embody those those values. And as you and I know, there are a bunch of world leaders, local leaders right now that are really focused on country or state first. And that for me, that's very dangerous. And I'd love to see um, I'd love to see the concept of global citizenship more embraced by more people in powerful positions including business leaders, including um, entrepreneurs, including investors, um, and also kind of elected officials. And at last, what is your observation about my questioning in this conversation? I love that question. You're actually asking for feedback. Um, I love the fact that you're asking questions in a very straightforward way. Um, you know, how do you work with small companies versus big companies? You know, what are your thoughts on technology? So it's very easy to consume. But I want to hear more of your opinion. You have a story. You're a technologist. You're an entrepreneur. 
you're an influencer. You're incredibly, you must be incredibly confident in yourself that you've spoken to a hundred people and you put yourself out there on a platform like this where some people are going to like it and some people are not. And some people are going to tell you they don't like it and you've got to be very resilient and thick skinned. So I'd love to hear more of your story and your reflections. And uh, you have seen my uh, project, uh, me talking with different country people, and uh, you saw what I'm doing. So what is your observation about it? Because you have done a lot of work in your life, uh, uh, working with different businesses and business leaders. So how this is going to be helpful for me in coming uh, yeah. years? Um, as we said in the, in the, in the early discussion, um, I get a lot of requests to do a lot of kind of spoken things. Um, I choose things that are important to me from a, personal values, etc. And um, anything that relates to younger people, anything that relates to kind of global, I'm all in, in terms of giving back. So um, I think it's amazing that at the um, at your young age, you feel confident, in addition to doing a full time job, you feel confident to creating um, an experience where you've kind of spoken to 100, you know, 100 leaders, and again, not just business people, but people from civil society, all walks of life. And you're sharing those stories and you're giving them a platform to share their stories. And that's going to be helpful to lots of people around the world who think and and kind of connect with those types of people. Like people who want to go into law enforcement, people who want to go into technology, people who want to go into consulting can be inspired. So um, uh, I was I was intrigued and attracted by the proposition and that's why we're having this discussion so congratulations on doing that um make sure that kind of more and more people are hearing kind of the stories um and the key messages that you want them to take away definitely it is extremely valuable for me also it connects to a lot of young people in india uh your words will inspire them and uh, uh even a uh, small amount of people uh becomes uh and uh, develops themselves and grow in their life because of the words that you said. You would be the reason for the change and I will be the reason for the uh, uh, trial. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yes, absolutely. Also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social yes. media, everywhere yes. with your permission? Yes, please. If you, if you need to edit anything, absolutely as well. Thank you. Thank you again uh, for your valuable time and your presence and uh, the great experience that you have shared with my audience. No problem. I appreciate it. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So uh, we start recording. Welcome to Smart Cherry Thoughts. This is Sai from India.